Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and however you may be listening today. This is the closed screening. As always, I am Nicholas. And I'm Zach. And we have another live in-person episode coming at you today, so the audio should be exceptional. Master Zach has taken his technical skills and has maneuvered us into a uh, a wonderful melody of our, our two voices. So today we're going to be talking about 1940s The Grapes of Wrath. Which we apologize to our, our listeners. We did say it was going to be Battles of Algier. But once again, but the list is changing. The IMDb list is forever changing. So we're keeping you on your toes. Um, of course, the film is inspired by 1939's novel of the same name. Uh, this is 237 on the list, but before we get into the deep dive into an American classic, Zachary, what you been watching? Well, Nicholas, thank you for asking. First off, I have been watching two films in the last week. I watched Bottoms. Let me let me pull up my IMDb just to be That's sure. That's right. We were talking about Bottoms. Uh, for me, uh, the, the reason that that one stood out, Marshawn Lynch. Yes, he was he was actually pretty funny. I will say I things I can't remember any uh, of his lines. So and and we were talking about this uh before we got on air, but you never told me what what was his role? Was he a, a teacher? Was he a coach? Yeah, he was football the, coach? He was a social studies teacher and then he becomes their club sponsor. Got it. But he's a social studies teacher? Mm-hmm. Is he a good teacher? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the context of the movie, he's more of like handing out worksheets and Putting some sunglasses on and falling asleep. Nice. Um, hold on, hold on. Um, but I gave, I think I gave it like two and a half, three stars maybe. Here we go, sort by. I knew it was first. Did we talk about, yes, I think we talked about I Saw the Devil, did we? Yep. Okay. Um, actually, I gave Bottoms three and a half stars. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, And then... Abigail and I, I said, let's go on a little date night. So we went to our... I always got to treat the lady. I always got to treat the ladies. So I, we went to our... I won't say the name of the theater, but it was a it was a cinema and draft house. And I, I knew going in, it was going to be a little pricey. So we, we get there. Well, we, first off, I bought the tickets on Fandango. Fandango is a scam. It always has been and always will be. Really? I buy my tickets through Fandango. What's the issue? It's like a $5 service charge per ticket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Per ticket? I thought it was total. I could be wrong. It might be total, but it's still a scam. Yeah. So we go and. You get a $5 credit, though. Boo-hoo. I, have you ever redeemed one of those? Oh, of course. Well, okay, that's good. So we, I get on Fandango and I see the only time they're playing it it was either seven o'clock or nine nine o'clock of course we're gonna go at seven yeah the only time it's it's in the this was for bottoms this was for uh the creator oh you had mentioned that i yet. was getting there oh sorry sorry so sorry so we uh i buy the tickets twenty dollars a ticket because it was like the dolby audio experience theater mm. so we get there and then i buy a, a nice little alcoholic cider uh, and, uh, that cost you another twenty dollars. Cost me only only seven. That's not terrible. Isn't terrible. That's about what you pay. I got some subpar chicken tenders that were hard as rocks. Uh oh. 
and she got two little sliders that looked like they were out of the chum bucket. <laughs> Not the chum bucket. And so that was, yeah. And then we bought some Twizzlers for like nine bucks. Dang. They went, I mean, it was pretty big screen. Nice, nice audio quality, obviously. Yeah. But there was one like pixel on the screen up in the top right corner that was just bright red the entire movie no so every like 10 minutes my eyes just went right back yeah so you see on your little poster right there yeah yeah, yeah. see that see like the milky way sure and then the like the second patch of like reddish orange right there right that one like big star above it. That's how it was, was on the context of the screen. Yeah. This is great podcasting, by the way. As yeah. You're describing the stuff. I, I, I was trying to describe yeah, yeah, yeah. it to you. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but it was kind of annoying. But I watched your crater, came out super high on it. Super, super, super high. Yeah. I was telling you, best science fiction movie. Yeah. I think I was I think it was it was myself being uh too eager to to want to love it. Yeah, Wait, caught up caught up in the hype of the fact that there's no movies out right now. Yeah, and caught up in the fact that it was a ninety million dollar science fiction movie that looked better than most Marvel movies have in. Oh yeah, twenty years. They stopped the trailers for sure. Five years. Um, if you had to give a the elevator pitch for the film, because I want to see it, so I don't I don't want spoilers. But what what is the film about? Um, what if? The war on terror was actually a war on AI, but it was like Vietnam. Okay. That's a good elevator pitch. Yeah. I mean, it had really cool visuals. The sound was really cool. Gareth Edwards had some great like shots in it. Yeah. But sometimes the plot was kind of lackluster. Did it feel Rogue One-ish? And there, there are some Rogue One-like shots. Yeah. But I think that's more of his directing style coming through more than... Right, right, right. Than Rogue One. Did uh, Abigail like it? Yeah, she thought it was pretty good. I think she has come down on it too. I gave it four stars initially. Mm, that's high. But I've I've since bumped it down to three. Mm, Full star. So Bottoms is better. Bottoms was a, a more enjoyable experience. Okay. In a, in a different way. Sure. Okay. Bottoms was lighthearted, kind of funny. Very nice. Have, have you watched anything? No. Unfortunately, I have not. My what my what you've been watching list has been bare bones dry. And of course I'm watching Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen that just came <laughs> back on and Kitchen Nightmares. Well, if we're talking T V shows where you know, we've been watching Ahsoka and uh, uh Loki, yeah. but we yeah, digress. We don't we don't get into that. We don't get into that. Um anything else? Any more business we gotta take care of? Um I think we should make note the writer's strike is over. Not officially. Well, not officially. I thought it's the actors that's not over. Okay, the actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the writers' strike aspect of it is over. So um, we're going to get some new content. Some new content, and hopefully, you know, obviously, writers are uh, getting content made right now. Their kind of curtains are being lifted. So by the time that the actors' component of this is over, the scripts are ready to go, baby. Which it actually is crazy to think that they probably didn't even need to push back Dune. No, probably not, because that was supposed to come out November. Yeah, next month. Looking at the list of movies coming out, it's going to be a rough holiday season. Hey, looking ahead, you got the Marvels and Aquaman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, 
audience member Zach, he gave me just a little side eye right there. Nothing against those movies. Could a lot of, a lot of really eye. talented people worked on those movies, and sure. I'm sure they're going to have their audiences, but that's not getting... They'll be generic, big, blockbuster, superhero action films. That's not getting the, the regular folk into the theaters. That's not an event movie like Dune Part 2 would be. Yeah. Put it on March? In March? What are we doing? Like, who had the sense to put it into March? I know it. Like, leave it in November, push it to next November, or push it to, like, July? Yeah. I guess they figured that nothing would be out in that February, March, April time period. So, people would be hungry for a film coming out. Yeah, maybe. But we got we got the Great Depression to talk about now. <laughs> what a segue. Yeah, so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into The Grapes of Wrath. So this is 237 on our way up the top 250 IMDb list. And audience members, if you were with us last week, uh, Persona got dethroned, dethroned by Amores Peros. Amores Peros. Which was controversial. Controversial. Audience members reaching out to us uh, and... It was a hot take, apparently. Well, uh, one, I read a letterboxed review by one of our viewers. I'm not going to call them out. We'll keep this uh, genderless. And they said that they, they didn't quite understand the film. So I, I challenged that viewer to maybe watch the film again. Maybe oh. see if they can uh, watch it in chronological order. That's a lot of work on them. So maybe maybe that, that's impossible. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We got technical, technical difficulties. difficulties. But it's okay. Hey, we're back. We're okay. Um, so all that being said, of course, as we go through these films, we're looking to see, is it going to one up the other? So Amortis Peros is now king of the castle. Top dog. I know we made that pun last week. (laughs) I like that. So does the Grapes of Wrath upend it? We'll find out. Um, audience, we have very sensitive microphones. So if you hear my stomach rumbling, (laughs) that's just because I haven't eaten in like (laughs) <laughs> 19 hours all right grapes of wrath the 1940 like we're uh starving artists we are starving artists <laughs> um fandango pay us uh, uh well before we get into the movie itself uh-huh have a the quickest the quickest little lesson oh I'll, only only like, three bullet points please um john ford the director mm-hmm. i think i had mentioned him when i was uh Talking about the Ator a little bit, but he, the Ator is a a French term that comes out of a, I can't remember the name of the magazine, but it was film critics that created this term, the Ator author, and it was the idea that the director was in, should be in creative control of the, the property instead of the studio, and that only a certain amount of people could be ever considered to be auteurs. Um, it's very, it was very European in its early infancy. And John Ford has been retroactively sort of turned into a auteur since the auteur theory didn't come around until the sixties. And he's primary work is in the studio system in like the forties, fifties, but people have come back and looked at him and said, okay, he's working in the confines of the studio system, but he is, has his own thematic style, visual style. And I think that we can deduce that he was doing the best that he could and has awful auteur-like qualities. 
Um, King of the Western. I think, I don't know if we'll have any Westerns on this list, but Stagecoach was on the first IMDb list. I mean, not IMDb, uh, American Film Institute. AFI. Yeah. Their first list that they made back in the day has since been removed, but the Searchers, another Western, it's kind of problematic now, uh, is on that list. And The Grapes of Wrath is actually still on the list. Um, But all good things can be problematic. Sometimes uh, he was called a bully on set and very hard to work with and very challenging for females to work with. Just slapping the ladies around. Just, I think, like every director at the time. I think... Hey, touch. I think they had a... I'm not going to speculate on everybody here, but I think a lot of these directors had a sort of a power fetish that because that went to their head so that's all i got about him i will say some more uh interesting facts about him as we get along sweet all right well thank you for that um uh, the first thing i want to note and we talked about this last night uh after we finished the film because uh, we watched it together but got to be one of the quickest turnarounds from novel to adaptation mm-hmm. the, the novel came out in 1939 and you have not read it, correct? Nope. Um, I did, but I read it in high school, so that was uh, almost a decade ago now. And we'll get into adaptation and, and maybe how faithful it was as we get into the, the story details. But it's crazy how popular that book was. Pulitzer Prize winner, I mean, critical acclaim. And then this film came out of, you know, just a couple months, really. I mean, less than a year afterwards. And right from the jump, this was just as popular and it made oodles of money and i can't remember the uh the number off the top of my head but okay the grapes of wrath book came out in april of 1939 okay the movie came out january 24th 1940 holy cow i mean that is insane turnaround so obviously the story really resonated with audience members at the time and uh I think that's maybe the first place to start, Zach. In terms of the story, I think we'll say, because just to be pretty open and honest with our audience members, we didn't love this film. Yeah. Um, So just I have a a quick, the quickest synopsis. Yes. This is a very quick, I just wrote, follows a family looking for work in California after being kicked off their land in Oklahoma. Yeah. And of course, there's more nuances to that story. Um, but yeah, I mean, cause I, the first time I was ever exposed to this movie. Yeah. Cause you've seen it. Cause I think in high school it was either, I think were you in AP Lang or something. Mm-hmm. They read Grapes of Wrath honors and read of mice and men. So we, we diverted on our, our Steinbeck. Yeah. So have you ever seen the movie adaptation of, have you even read of mice and no. men? No, nope. Don't know anything about it. Yeah, he so John Steinbeck writes in this sort of working folk, Midwest sort of appeal to the masses sort of style, easy to understand. Um, so I didn't, I never even, I just heard of this book. I never really knew what it was about. I think I always got that and uh, what's the other one with uh, what's the other one that everyone reads? Uh, Great Gatsby. Uh. Catcher of the Rye. Oh, Catcher in the Rye. I get that one and this one like jumbled together all the time. But in college, I took a U.S. history through film course. 
and we watched this like halfway through the course so that was my first exposure to it in more of an academic setting and i mean we talked about how the movie was very modern day cutting edge at the time and how this was life for a lot of people because coming out of the 30s into 1940 when this movie came out we're still into the depression the dust bowl was in 30 33 three so that's not too far removed and probably the effects are still being felt that's what i hate about like history when you're learning you learn about it in the context of the year yeah and then you don't follow up on it so you Okay, 1933 Dust Bowl, 1934 Stock Market Crash or whatever. Yep. But I think 1940, we're still struggling financially until World War II. So a lot of people are homeless, living in these camps. I'd be interested to see how the numbers of this movie, how much it did. Yeah, the numbers I found, I think, included rentals. So I couldn't get a good estimate of what the numbers were at the time. But it was extremely successful at the time. It's popular even... Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that I read up that this was one of the first 25 films that the U.S. also selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Dang. So a lot of these films are getting preserved. It is, I know, and, um, but it was it was interesting that this was one of the first. So this film is obviously very critically acclaimed and has a lot of significance. Um, and I wonder, in part, if the significance doesn't have as much to do with the the innovation of the technical aspects of the film itself more than it is just Steinbeck's story. Um, one thing I'll go ahead and note is that this film is a whole lot more lighthearted and makes you feel better about the Jode family's situation than the novel. The novel is very dark is not the right word, but it's very depressing. Um, even at the end of the film, if we just kind of jump ahead, the Jode family essentially ends on this very hopeful note this idea of uh tom who's the the main protagonist of the film he's sets out to be the the social crusader and you know out whenever there's you know a starving child i'll be there and it ends very hopeful and even the last shots we get of the family sort of driving off and you know we are the people and the novel's not like that at all it's very very depressing it doesn't end well for the family whatsoever so that was the first thing that stood out to me well because speaking on that the ending of the movie strongly implies that the sister is about to die yes but it's like laughed off which is sort of a weird tone because we've seen three of our other characters die and then the very end of the movies we're getting hopeful and then they pick her up and she looks like a corpse she does and they just drop her in the bed of the truck and they're First off, she doesn't look pregnant at all. It's probably been months. She should be developing a baby bump. Yeah. I'm concerned that she is harboring something that is not alive in her belly. So, funny you mentioned that. In the novel, she gives birth to a stillborn baby. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also, I uh, there's a lot of things that the, the movie obviously omits. Like, after... In the novel, I remember after she gives birth to the her stillborn child... Um, she i think that the family comes across like to this barn where they have to sort of camp out for a night or two and there's this old frail man who's like on his deathbed and she like milks him and like there's just scenes like that where it's you obviously just couldn't adapt that in 1940 yeah more um, or less today even for some other context the grapes of wrath ranks 23rd as the most important american film ever made dang so this is this is high up on our list 
honestly, looking at there may only be 12 other movies on this list that we're actually going to be watching. Wow. Um, I do feel like we need to go ahead and say this because I've, I've been dancing around this as well with the idea that this film is a lot more, and again, lighthearted is not the word, but it doesn't take itself as serious as the novel. But you and me thought this was the most unintentionally funny movie that we've seen in a long time. Yes. Well, There's literally a scene where they come across to the little like Hooverville shantytown and the family gets into like a tussle with uh, the local law enforcement and uh, Tom and uh, his preacher friend, Casey, Cassie, Casey, Casey are literally like running away and they hit the cop and the cop gets knocked over and the cop like stumbles back up and like sits up and aiming the, the gun at them and shoots but completely misses either of them and just absolutely just nails this woman who just falls to the ground. This is just scenes like that that just we were yeah. looked at each other and we just started laughing. Well, the guy that played Grandpa was Grandpa deserves all the accolades. Was trying his best for that supporting actor role where he the whole movie he's, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm staying on my land. And like pounding the dirt. Yeah. And, and the way to appease Grandpa and to get him along was to feed him like simple syrup, codeine. Yeah. And then <laughs> but the next coffee. scene, he's dead. Yeah, that was a very quick turnaround. Yeah, where old people in this movie tend to just roll over and die when they get a little too hot. Yeah. Any any sort of adversity they face, death. Um, But I want to do a little more house cleaning before we sure, get into the course. movie. Sure, of course. This movie was nominated for seven Oscars and won only one. It was nominated for a lot of technical awards, which I think we should talk about the text of this movie in a little bit. But it was, it won for Best Supporting Actress for Jane Darwell. Was that the mom? Who was the mother. And then uh, John Ford won Best Director. Henry For Henry Fonda was, what, Henry Ford? Henry Ford. <laughs> uh Henry Fonda was nominated for Best Actor. It was nominated for Best Picture, but none of them. Uh, so Grandpa them never got a shout out. Grandpa never w- even got a chance. No, Grandpa. And uh, I got an interesting fact. Uh, New segment. Both John Stein- Steinbeck and John Ford were investigated by MacArthur during the Red Scare because of how pro-union they were in this movie. And the last fact I have for you is it was a marvel that the word hell, when uh, Tom says, Mom, get the hell off the fender, it's still a mystery today how that passed the censors. Interesting. Because no other movie from that year had the word hell passed. Wow. What's what's great about that scene too that you brought up? That's the same scene where the mom is sitting on the uh, the front of the hood, basically, and the car's like broken off to the side. It's got like a flat tire, mm-hmm. and they're changing the tire. Do you remember this? They're changing the tire, and like, Ma, it's already heavy enough. Yeah, you gotta get off. Yeah, he says, Mom, get the hell off that fender. It's yeah. already heavy enough. Hilarious. So it's a it's a two and one. It's a <laughs> hilarious line. It also got past the censors. Yeah, and I was surprised. Maybe that's he, what it was. It was so funny that they're like, you know what? We gotta leave this in here. And then what does he call somebody? He calls them like a quit all that smart assery. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Which maybe that wasn't that frowned upon. Yeah. It kinda got me by surprise. 
Yeah, but that's that's all I got. Okay. So now we can really dive into this movie. For Let's what do it. it. Is. Um, do you want to get into the technical aspects or do you want to get into the story? No, let's go technical. Let's do it. So, first of all, I was the thinking about the turnaround that this movie had from April to January, to January is pretty insane. That's that 10 months. Couldn't be done now. But I was, I think black and white really helps this film out because... Oh, yeah. When you got to view this film as they're on a studio lot, but it never feels like that. The sets are wonderful in the way that they have painted the sky in these sort of like quasi desert scenes in Oklahoma and stuff and how it blends in with these like backgrounds are amazing. Yeah. It, it, the depth feels real. The sets are fully realized. Um, especially when they get to the shanty towns and the different cabins Mm -hmm. that they're staying in, the attention to detail is incredible on it too. Mm -hmm. And the way that, Ford is lighting these scenes, but in particular at the beginning when they're in these dark huts, only lit by a candle. It's incredible looking. And then the one shot that stood out to me was when they're driving in the middle of the night, and I don't remember what they're talking about, but in we're watching the road. Yep. From the Tom and the father's perspective. From the inside of the truck, but, basically. And, but we're seeing their reflection off of the the windshield. The glass windshield, yep. And so we're watching them actually act it out. I was going to bring that up too. Their faces, they almost look like ghosts, ghosts, like apparitions. Mm -hmm. That was incredible. Um, But yeah, technically brilliant, I would say, for the time. But it's so funny. You you get all this, like it's lighted, lit perfectly. You have some very creative uses of lighting. But then you still have these very stagnant shots, only medium waist shots. Yeah. The camera, maybe it's it's turning left and right, but there's no movement up and down. Yeah. So you still have these the constraints that the freedom that wasn't there that was in Europe at the time. Yeah. It's it's funny cuz there there are moments where that gets balanced out by other scenes. I'm thinking of for instance when they first arrive in the in the Hooverville and they're uh the camera, we're looking at it from the, the POV of our Jode family as we're making our way through the crowd. And that camera is shifting left and right. And you feel like you are tilting with that camera going through. And you're looking, you're saying, all right, this family. And you see their scowls. And then you see the hungry children over there. And it balances out those, those stagnant moments that mm-hmm. you're talking about. So those moments really come alive. And what I like is that interspersed throughout these films too, um, instead of always having that that real close-up shot or that medium shot sometimes to give that uh just the the scale or the scope of the scene i'm thinking especially the beginning of the film or during transitions they'll pull back that camera there's aerial views at the beginning there's incredibly long shots especially when we're traveling on the road was highway 66 Mm -hmm. it's a lot of different stuff i mean again Mm -hmm. like you mentioned in 10 months time i mean it's obviously when we talk about these things directors do these things purposefully and i mean that a lot of attention and care was put into those scenes a lot of it yeah. and of course black and white the use of shadows are always going to be amazing mm-hmm. especially on the road and the use it's it's, it's it really is remarkable it is very interesting because i think we both mentioned this last night when it seemed like this movie was so fragmented and every 
on average five minutes we're cutting to black and yeah just getting a whole new scenario really i do feel like this it almost felt like a tv show at times yeah um but it's also like there were a bunch of scenes that i don't want to say they they didn't they didn't need to be in the movie but if i've got nine months to finish or maybe probably like two months to film a movie I'm probably not making half of these scenes. Oh, agreed. But I mean, I guess he had the vision. Because, because what what else did he do? Do you know in terms of feature films that he directed? What what other stuff was he what making? Are, are do you know? T- like at the time or just in general? And just in general, westerns. Were you listening? At the no, I mean, like what? Like in terms of the names of some of these films, like anything Stage that's well known. The uh, the searchers. Okay, you probably haven't seen a lot of them. Yeah, I I'm not that well versed on John Ford besides some of his westerns. Okay, let's see. I'll go to his other top movies. Um, The Quiet Man, mm-hmm. 1952. The Man Who Shot Liberty Vance. Okay, yeah, heard of that one. Yes, yeah, so a lot of westerns. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Which I would I would you know the the searchers is kind of problematic now i would still say go watch it because it is one of the first films that he used uh i think it was technicolor that he used in that one sure beautiful movie yeah sprawling movie okay um in terms of the story it was like i mentioned already pretty faithful adaptation of the novel itself um, the characters that were standouts were the mom, mm-hmm. of course, grandpa, grandpa, grandma dies too early to really be a yeah meaningful player. And, uh, as much as I liked, uh, Tom, our main protagonist, I found myself loving Casey mm-hmm. more. Casey was a good, well, uh, to speak on, to be a, a Tom defender, uh, John Steinbeck after he watched the movie said that he was the perfect Tom and that his words had come to life or whatever. Yeah. And that they were, they main, they maintained a relationship after the movie. And Oh, did they? He attended his funeral when he died. That's awesome. And like up to, for this, the one thing I say about Tom is that I do feel like the, I never felt like his character was off in any way in the sense that when we're first introduced to him, it's this character who, did this this awful thing right he served in the penitentiary and he was out on parole and he's he seems like this this one type of character but you see the evolution towards the end i I mentioned at the very beginning when we're introducing the film that the way that it ends is this very hopeful Mm -hmm. i'm a crusader almost social justice warrior in a way and i felt like it never my sense of disbelief in that sort of transition to that character uh yeah. It never took me out of it. So I, f- I felt like he played all, you know, that that character arc pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Now that we're talking about that, what his, uh, his transgressions, the way that this movie treats murder is very interesting because it's something that I hadn't really seen often when, besides like an action movie, when Keanu Reeves is shooting 100 people. But... The early scenes in this movie set up that Tom had 
been stabbed and then he hit somebody in the head with a shovel and killed him. So we've established that murder has consequences in this world that we're living in. Right. But the way that Tom is shot, the way that other characters react to him, and so the way that we're seeing him, we're rooting for him, and we're not, we never even think of him as a convict because the first time we see him, he's in like a three-piece suit, which how did he get that? Yeah. Straight out of jail. Right. And then there's, I don't want to say there's always an excuse, but when he kills the cop later in the movie, it was, again, I didn't mean to. Right. But again, we're on his side because we know that they the cop had just killed Casey. And all the characters are also on his side. And they say, oh, you, you, you had to do what you had to do. Yeah. It wasn't your fault. Where in a lot of movies, it's... I wouldn't think that we would take this sort of view, especially not in t- the way that movies are made today. I was about to say, that's uh kind of rubs up it most a little bit against the Hayes codes and, you know, yeah. in terms of you know, murder and justification for that. But I remember, remember no murder against a spouse can go unpunished. That's right. Um, so I, I, I love, loved his character. Um, I didn't want to mention that, but again, the standouts for me, um, were Casey and the mom. Um, the mom in particular, I loved, and I, I think she deserved her her Oscar win. I had no idea who she was up against, but she's a she's a champion of the the long gaze. She is a champion of the long <laughs> gaze, and she it's that perfect like you could you could pull her into today, and she she carries that uh, the the emotions of. That, like the tiredness, the world wariness. Mm-hmm. She she plays it so well and it's and she has moments where it's she, uh it's super sweet. Her her dialogue with the other family members, in particular at the end, the conversations he's having with Tom before he has to leave because of you know, he, he committed murder. murder and and so the police are looking for him and he's just constantly putting the family at risk with that situation. And so before he goes off um, he's about to leave the tent and uh, he kind of looked at old mama, mama Joe longingly. And we're, she's, you know, he's about to head out of the tent and she's awake. We find out she's awake and she says, you know, you're not going to say goodbye to me. And then they, they go outside the tent and they have this heart to heart. And as much as his words uh, are pretty powerful in that scene, I felt like her dialogue really carried a lot of that. And I was I was fully engrossed. Like it, this film again, I couldn't, I wasn't taking it too too seriously because I feel like it it wasn't. I don't know. The dialogue didn't pull me in, but for that one moment, right, that they're having that conversation mm-hmm. at night and in the dark before he goes, and it's like she's almost like the catalyst for sort of his conversation and and what he's going to do next. She was awesome, and she's yeah. just she's just the the Oklahoman lady. She's got. <laughs> She's got that little double chin. I don't know. My only complaint with her, with her character is I don't. It's not even on her, but we have these eight family members that are traveling the the country together. But I, she never really. We never really see her as a mother to anyone really besides Tom. Yeah, and it sort of comes off as like favoritism, a little bit. Like, oh, my, my boy's back. Get get Go away. Like, yeah. she's got two young kids. She mentions them, and she, she like, scolds them, but she never really talks to them. Yeah. She never really talks to the other brother. 
What and was I, his name? Al? Uh, yeah, Al. Yeah. Because at one point in the movie, I looked at Nicholas. I said, is that his brother or his cousin? Yeah. There's a lot of names. And I think maybe the... And I don't know if it's really the fault of Ford or, you know... It, well, the, we, we have dedicated two hours and nine minutes to this movie, which could have been just shot in 90 minutes. Right. So I think if, if you're going to indulge yourself, I think you should establish relationships a little more. Right. Because he spends a lot of time setting, like showing us that they're poor and yeah, people treat them differently and some people treat them nicer and some people pity them. Yeah. And I mean, yes, that's effective, but how many times can you, can you do that versus establishing more personal relationships? Right. And I think, I think a lot of it is like a symptom of the time where, a lot of the supporting cast wasn't necessarily as built up as sort of your main leads because with a book, you have way more time and, and way more space to flesh out characters in a way that you don't in 1940s, 10 month turnaround grapes of wrath film. Um, because we mentioned this, like the, it wasn't until about like an hour in where the kids like were on the road, like in their little uh, Oldsmobile. And they finally had their first pieces of dialogue and we're like, Oh yeah. Like, they're the kids they're mm-hmm. they're doing things and like connie the the husband who like deserts his pregnant wife like i feel like i never got anything yeah. from him like, he sings a song yeah so the supporting cast is not built up in any way shape or form no. so or, i mean i guess it's just the he wanted to prioritize the situation that they were in versus the the people that were in it sure um i also thought uh going back to casey obviously the it's the his story is taken straight from steinbeck and and what he did with him in the in the book but i have to feel like in 1940 seeing a former preacher talking about the things that he's talking about like his beliefs and ideals now mm-hmm. would have been a little risque. risque yeah you know what i mean like i feel like audience members would have been like whoa like you don't you have this spirit like you don't yeah you don't believe in that anymore like that's not your calling and you have this completely different worldview which obviously he he mentions that it's just a product of the times that they're Mm -hmm. in so i don't know i thought that was i thought that gave him a lot of depth in a way that a a preacher in any other film that would have come out in the next 20 year period would have yeah well i think it's interesting because he I think he's almost like speaks for the common man that would be watching at the time because during this time of like virginity was the norm and your sexual urges needed to be repressed until you're married. But he talks about how, because Tom says, oh, you should have got yourself a wife. But then he says, basically like every time I saw a woman, I was in love with her. And yeah. I was trying to give her the Holy spirit, but I was giving her something else or whatever. Yeah. I think that was one of his dialogues. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would, 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 uh, really resonate with that sort of mindset of my urges to attract the other, other sex are very strong, but I know I had to go to church on Sunday and I'm told not to. Yeah. And we even get that in the younger brother, Al, when he is throughout the entire movie, he's trying to court a woman and the the camp settlement they're at they have dance night on saturday and he goes to like four different tents yeah. and tries to get a woman to come dance with him which is probably about the only thing you could do at the time yeah 
we did talk about how easy it was where he basically like came up behind this girl and like like poked her on the shoulder and like held out his arms like in a dancing pose and she like joined him we were like man how easy it must have been well no that was the girl that first rejected him well it was it was but still i mean come on now um i do have i want to ask you a question did you feel that the film depicted the poverty or sort of the direness of the situation in the shanty towns or the little camps that were set up did it did it feel realized believable yeah i, th- I think the scene where they first get to their little shanty town in california and they are the ones that have the food and then they're the mother's cooking the stew and immediately when she sets the fire yeah a bunch of children flock to her like a bunch of stray dogs yeah and then you get the scene where she's like ain't you eat today yeah and then what no i didn't eat and the kids said i had a full chicken yeah and then all the other kids get mad oh he's just bragging he just had fried dough like everyone else yeah um but the the thing that caught me with that scene where she says go get a flat flat stick yeah and come back but they all run into like the junkyard yeah. and pull a bunch of cans and then I th- when she's oh miss says she gonna give us food if we get a can <laughs> yeah and i thought that was a pretty interesting scene to show like these kids have gone beyond the point of thinking that their parents can feed them yeah and they're now either by order or just by necessity have gone to wander the camp anytime they even get the hint that there might be food around to start begging yeah and i think it also puts a good because tom is immediately like get away we don't have enough food for you but then the mom is says they can have the the broth at the end of the meal yeah i i I thought it did a really i I thought well i'll say this i thought it did an okay job there was one scene that um really made me it it pulled me in and made it feel believable and that was when they were in the um oh gosh maybe it was called the keen ranch i can't i can't remember all the the different Mm -hmm. names and they're picking peaches and they're picking peaches and they're given these large buckets and they're told that if you pick full buckets you get what is it five cents Five five cents per bucket five cents per bucket and they're pretty big tin you know metal buckets but uh the scene that he shoots where the Jode family walks outside and they're in front of their home and it's just this crowd and it's old men, young men, children, and they all have their, their, their 10 buckets. And that scene, they, he holds that scene and that shot for mm-hmm. 20 seconds. And it's just, just that crowd of people. And that's where I was like, man, that's, that's the effective scene right there. That one where I was like, Okay, I get it. Like that's the believable stuff. So that one stood out to me. Otherwise, I th- I thought that, and again, I you know it's no fault of the movie, but the book obviously did a better job of showing the direness of the situation. So and maybe that's just a larger symptom of of my problem with the film, and that I thought that again tonally, it didn't feel as dire as it should have been, and and we were having fun with it. We were we were laughing at certain mm-hmm. scenes, and it it wasn't meant to be intentionally funny, but yeah, I think I think that just kind of just threw me off, sort of the the vibe of the film. Yeah, I am. I was surprised to read that MacArthur was very hard on these guys for being pro union. When I feel like this movie doesn't 
it doesn't take an anti-union stance, but it's definitely right. not very heavy-handed. And yeah, the because the whole Tom is trying to figure out why there was a crowd of people out there, and then he he comes across Casey again after Casey's been arrested and released, and Casey says that they're 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 strikers, we're the strikers. Yeah, and it's only about a two-minute scene, and we don't. The only payoff we get because he says Casey says they promised us five cents, but then when we got here it was two and a half. But then Tom says, which I think his concerns are actually like very commonplace of with these anti-union sentiments of, well, I'm getting five cents right now. Why would I care about what people before me didn't or didn't get? Right. Do you think my dad cares that other people were getting two fifty when we're getting five? Yep. And and then Casey's like, it's about the principle, blah blah blah. And then that's when Casey dies. And then I think it's it's not even talked about again, but it seems like they think Casey's the leader when he may or may not actually be. Right. And then as soon as Casey dies, the next morning, I would say Casey's murdered. Uh, the next morning, they go ahead and tell them that it's 250. So Casey was right. But it's very, it's very subtle because I think a lot of people could miss that if you weren't really paying attention. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. So Casey was right. And then our talks of the union go wayside after that. Yeah. Well, McCarthy was certainly after everyone, so oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's a whole different conversation. Um, my uh, my final question for you: soundtrack, did it do anything for you? It just blends in with all these classical, yeah, studio era. That was gonna be my point exactly. Movies. It felt as generic as as the other ones that I've that we've gotten through. Some of these, yeah. Um, okay, I'm, I'm formulating this theory off my head right now. Oh, oh. What it, how do you do view uh, Casey as a prophet, as a martyr? Mm. I like that. I, I like I like the the use of martyr because I think that's more appropriate than prophet. First off, we he's just there. He has no reason to be in Tom's path at the beginning of the movie. Correct. He's just sitting there, like he somehow knew where to be, where to be, and he's a man of God, obviously. Right. Uh, and then he follows him around. They take him in, and he's the one that assists Tom after Tom assaults the police officer and right. takes the fall for it. Yeah. Goes away Somehow, for a while. Magically gets out, becomes the spokesperson of the the union, who is then killed. Who then sparks Tom to to be this voice of reason, to be the 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 words for the the voiceless. Yeah, I like it. So maybe he would. I think you could argue that he was he was set on a path by the God character of the story to make Tom be the man that he's supposed to be. I'm, I can dig that. I told, I told you, Casey, love that character, love him. All right, I I can dig with that. You dig with it. Um, anything else that you want to discuss about the film itself? Um, I think we can move into our enjoyment. All right, of the movie ratings okay before we get into ratings per se did you enjoy this movie just yes or no yes i will say i enjoyed it but i i will say last week's movie was a challenging watch content wise right a lot of people could turn this movie on and maybe turn it off this is a a challenging watch in the fact that it's definitely an 
old production, obviously. Yeah. And it feels like an old production. And the movie takes its time. And I don't think the content is for everybody. I think yeah. this is a, a almost a neglected period in American history. We don't really think about it because it's sort of... In history classes, we talk World War Two, World War One. Yeah. Okay, the Depression happened, but yeah. then we were out of it. Yeah. Because of World War Two, it's yeah. sort of. Oh, and and there was the Dust Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. It was. It was a really challenging time, and I mean, it really f- shaped a generation and the generation who came after. So I think it is a it's a good, worthwhile movie if you're just interested in American history at all. But I can understand why someone that has no interest in American history could be bored out of their mind by this movie sure yeah i i would say so i can i 100 percent behind that but if we want to move into ratings i would say given a night on it this was my third or fourth watch of this movie i've seen it quite a couple times that's crazy uh 7.6 would be my ceiling on that yeah but I'm not. I'm not set. Maybe a seven point two to seven point six, anywhere in that range. I am right at a seven point three. Okay. Um, so pretty much an agreement there. And the thing is, we just moved on to Amores Peros. Amores Peros. Amores Peros. Amores Peros. But I don't. I don't think it's it's even a competition right now. Nope. I I think this is pretty obvious. This one doesn't move on. I. And the thing is, Zach, I most of these films I would say I'd recommend, and you just you just talked about this, you know, if if you're big in American history or you know you you have any interest in that sort of stuff, you should watch it. I think this is one of the few films that I've watched so far where I'd say, you know what, watch with caution. Watch with caution, or just skip it all together. Like I don't know if I'd say you need to watch it. The thing is, I understand that it is a. An important film to the context of America. It's obviously in the top 25 most influential films of all time. Right. And I, it has a place for that. But I just don't know if the modern viewer would enjoy it. Yeah. The guy, in terms of comparisons, I know it's, it's, it's hard to do some of these comparisons in films. But it happened one night. I'd recommend 10 times over this film for instance mm-hmm. um but that's just me that's just me yeah um watch it if you want to <laughs> ringing endorsement for the grapes of wrath read the read the novel the novel's great the but, novel is fantastic but we're gonna close the conversation there yeah bring but it to its, not, its natural not even end. not even close really no i wouldn't say i wouldn't say so I, there was never a point in this movie Oh, granted, I had seen the movie before, so I knew what right what I was about to watch. So, but there was no it's the only time when I really considered, hey, this might be worthy of a discussion was the the beginning when they're the the shots and the the when the technical aspect of the movie really yeah. really shined through. Right. Well, we'll go ahead and look ahead to what we have coming up, Zachary. Um, let him know. Hopefully, this doesn't change in the next week. Right. But as of right now, it is my father and my son. The Battle of Algiers has been moved two spots up to 235. Got it. My father, my son, what year did that come out? 
2005. 2005. And uh, just to for myself, for audience members, what was the ratings oh, that IMDb had for uh, Grapes of Wrath and then the upcoming film? So the Grapes of Wrath sits at an 8.1 out of 10. Okay. So we're not that far off. Oh, with 97,997 view, uh, reviews. And on Metascore, it sits at a 96. Wow. But my boy, Roger Ebert. Gave it four stars. Okay. Uh, let's see. Is there any negative reviews for it? Yeah, there's not a not a single critic score that is below a uh, fifty. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I, I I wouldn't say that either. But there's a bug climbing on me. One of your little fruit flies. Uh oh. Well. Uh, um, and then looking forward to next week, we're sitting at an 8.2. Oh, is that our 10. first 8.2? Uh, I know the list has that weird, like sometimes it'll go no. up by... Panther Pachali was an 8.2. Panther Pachali. What a film. Audience members, go back and listen to that one. Um, but this one, My Father and My Son, 8.2, follows the family of a left-wing journalist is torn apart after the military coup of Turkey in 1980. All right. Sounds like we're in for quite the story. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some more uh, films to recommend for you. Absolutely. There's I, some uh, there's some stuff I've been meaning to watch, but football's on. My weekends are taken up. It's a t- it's tough right now. This is a the busy hey, part of the year. It's it's a good it's a good uh it's a good problem to have though. That's right. In the meantime, please share links, spread the word. Please leave us five star reviews. Please. Leave us a written review, if at all possible. I know people have reached out to us. We sent out the challenge, leaving us actual written reviews. And there's been some difficult, technical difficulties there, on the part of different it might platforms. Be my fault. There might not even be a review feature on Spotify. Mm. Go find a new podcast platform where you can leave us a review. Or just give us five stars. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Subscribe. And follow us on Twitter at Close Screening. That's right. Zachary, uh, how are we doing on the TikTok front? I'm struggling to figure out what how to do it. We'll get there. Uh, I'll talk to our, our, our former host, Chase, to figure out how he did it. Got it. But until we'll then. Ca- but we'll catch you same time, same place next week.